But today we are concluding our series entitled Everyday Disciple. And we have been in this series now for about four or five weeks. And it's truly been an incredible conversation because we've really begun to try and ask the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in our everyday lives? Because I think all of us theoretically get Scripture and we, we like what it says and we like what we're called to be and it all sounds great, but sometimes fitting it into our schedules or our everyday lives gets difficult because life gets busy. We've been talking about what it means to become disciples of Jesus and then be those that go out and disciple others to come into relationship with Him. And today I want to finish our conversation by focusing on our, our, our attention on who it is that God is calling us to reach with His love and care. Because we tend to think of the people that we want to reach, but we don't always consider people that we've been called to reach. If you can remember over the last several weeks, our, our kind of our theme for the series is this. God has created each of us with a purpose. He's given us the, the perfect example in Jesus of what it looks like to follow God with our whole heart. And he's now called us to go to our context and the space in which he's placed us to reach people. And so today we'll embrace that as everyday disciples, our hospitality should be geared towards strangers and unbelievers. Not just to our friends and our family and those that are closest to us, but truly to the, to the strangers, to the, the unbelievers that we connect with and interact with in life. And when we embrace God's call to love and serve those outside the walls of our church, outside the walls of our homes, questions will naturally arise for us. Because it moves us outside of our comfort zone. And so we, we tend to find ourselves asking questions like, what responsibility do I have to the people around me? Specifically, what responsibility do I have to the people on the edges of society? What, when, I, when I drive past that guy on the corner with the sign that I saw there yesterday, what responsibility do I have? When somebody has a need and they come into the church and they don't look quite right and they're hurting and they're broken, what responsibility do I have to reach them? The struggling, the weak. That's where we're going to concentrate this morning as we conclude this conversation and what it means to be an everyday disciple. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 14. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, you can jump on the Version Bible app and follow along there. We're going to go there in just a second, but as, as is often the case, the, the question we tend to want to ask when we sometimes look at Scripture is, well, what does this mean for me? What do I think I should do? Or what, what do we think we should do? And, and how do I handle what I'm challenged with in Scripture? The optimal question, though, that we should be asking is, what has God said about it? What does God want us to do? And it seems kind of Sunday school and a little bit self-explanatory, but that truly should be our frame of mind, our perspective, when it comes to striving to become everyday disciples. 
I want to start with this unusual and somewhat obscure gospel passage in Luke's gospel. Jesus has been talking, let me just kind of set some context here. Jesus has been talking about how everyone seeks the place of honor when they go to a party. So he's talking to his, his followers and his disciples and he's saying, when you go to a party, don't seek the, the most honorable positions. Leave those for others. Don't seek those places to the right or to the left of the, of the, the host but let other people take those places. He encourages his followers to take a a lesser place or a a more humble position. And he concludes with the powerful spiritual principle that the one who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And we see this theme throughout Scripture. It's kind of the, the reverse gospel of what the culture would say, you know, You know, everybody for themselves and get everything you can while you can and, you know, look out for number one, whatever cliche you want to throw around. But the gospel flips culture around. But then Jesus, after talking to all the guests that might attend a party, he he adds an additional important element he turns his attention to the host. And he begins to address the host. And that's where we find ourselves in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12. It says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or or sisters, your relatives, or or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, God, that you've given us a perfect example of what it means uh, to love and serve people in Jesus. We ask, God, that you would begin to uh, open our hearts and and, and maybe challenge our, our ways of thinking when it comes to the people that you've called us to reach and love and serve. Father, I pray that you would help us to hear your words today and that we would begin to step into your purpose for our lives, seeing opportunities to reach people for your glory. Father, we love you. We thank you. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting to me that we oftentimes look at Scripture um, through like a metaphorical lens, like I think what they were probably saying was, and we don't often just read Scripture to read Scripture. Here's a for instance. When Jesus said, <laughs> when you have, give a, a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind. Who do you think he's talking about? Let me just make it simple for you. He's talking about the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. It's not a a metaphor. Like he's talking about those people specifically. And sometimes we're like, oh, well, he's talking about the person that, you know, that sits next to me at church. You know, he's talking to the, you know, about this person. or that. No, he's, ta- he's talking about the people that he was talking about. 
And so when we look at Scripture, we should read it for what it is sometimes, understanding that Jesus is saying exactly what He means. He's not trying to trick us. And so when we embrace that truth, we can begin to unpack what this means for our lives because it has some important implications. See, when we look at the commands in Scripture to reach the least of these in society or the the lame, the poor, the crippled, the blind, that's who we need to reach out to. We, 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 We oftentimes look at it and we go, well, it's a little bit more, it's like a suggestion. You have time. If your week's not too busy, if you've got a spare day, if you have a day off, maybe go out and, and start interacting and engaging these people. But in reality, we, we, we don't embrace that the whole of Scripture is talking about these people. We kind of think, oh, it's just, you know, they, it's brought up a few times in Scripture. In reality, there are a ton of Bible passages that share God's concern for the vulnerable. I've actually put a few of them up on the screen for you. Wait for it. Wait for it. There they are. There's just a couple. There's one or two that I found. And that's not even the comprehensive list. If you look these passages of scriptures up, they, they, they talk about the poor, the broken, the downtrodden, the hurting, the lost, the crippled. So what does that mean? That God is invested in the vulnerable. That his heart is for the broken. And some of the more interesting commands for how we should treat the broken and the vulnerable come from the Old Testament, believe it or not. As as God gave the law to Israel, it was a unique opportunity for him to express his priorities. And there's there's a lot that is said about it. One One of the things we learn is that he is concerned about the vulnerable. He tells them not to harvest to the edges of their fields, but to leave the edges for the poor so they can get something to eat. He's giving instruction. He tells them that they must treat the foreigner the same way they would treat an Israelite and not abuse them. So just because they live somewhere else, you don't get to mistreat them. You actually are called to welcome them in and show them hospitality as if they were your own. He tells them that when the rich use their power to exploit the poor, that he will be watching, and guess whose side he'll be on? This is the interactive part of the service. The poor. He's looking out for the poor. Naturally, we ask the question of of what what does this mean for for me, though? What does this mean for my life? What What am I supposed to do with this? What does it mean for our context? I think there's three key realities that will, that will help us as we engage how God is calling us to be everyday disciples. The first is this. As disciples, we have to embrace Jesus' answer to who is my neighbor. We have to embrace Jesus' definition of, of neighbor because we kind of like to spin up our own definition. We often find ourselves limiting our definition of neighbor to those people to whom we desire to be around. The people that we enjoy spending time with. The people who are maybe kind of close to us in proximity. The people who, you know, I like that neighbor, but I don't really like that one. You know, he's great. He keeps his lawn mowed. That person's dog poos on my lawn, and I don't like that. 
And so we, that, that guy's my neighbor, not so much. We kind of pick and choose, right? But that's not what Jesus defines neighbor as. The ones who are easy to love, easy to serve. No, instead, he, he breaks that open. In, in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, Jesus is interacting with a teacher of the law. And as they typically would do, they're trying to trap him or back him into a corner or at least kind of justify the way they like to live. And so this interaction is unique. Verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. and Love your neighbor as yourself. And you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And we know what happens next. Jesus begins to tell this story of the Good Samaritan. He tells a parable, as Jesus often did. And he tells this story of a man who was walking down the road and, and these, these robbers, these thieves, came and beat him up and took everything and left him lying in the ditch near dead. And what happens? The Levite comes by and goes over to the other side of the road, the teacher of the law. The pastor comes by and goes over to the other side of the road. We don't want to get, any of the, you know, get too near him. And then the Samaritan. The Samaritan man comes and, 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 and helps him and, and picks him up out of the ditch and, and bandages him up and puts him on his donkey and takes him to the inn and, 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 and gets care for him and continues to care for him. See, Jesus has been answering the question surrounding the greatest commandments throughout Scripture. Love God and love your neighbor. That's his response. But the questioner in this, in this story is, is hoping for a narrow definition of neighbor. One that kind of fits his way of living. Fits his context. Fits his you know, friend group. His, his, his sphere of influence. And in response to his question, who is my neighbor, Jesus tells this story. And there's a lot of interesting detail that you can pull out of the story of the Good Samaritan. But I want to focus on two specifically. Jesus makes the man who offers help a Samaritan. Now you have to understand this. This is like earth, earth-shaking stuff. Jesus is addressing Jews who see Samaritans as, as, as worse, worse than worse. They, they're half-breeds. They, they, they're, they're, you know. Take, take whatever racist situation you could comprise in your mind right now in our country and then multiply it. That's how Jews saw Samaritans. They, were, they didn't want to interact with them. And this lit a fire under his listeners when Jesus was, t- was talking about this. Because the Jewish people hated Samaritans. They were mortal enemies. And maybe you have people like that in your life. Maybe you have people like that, you're like, 
I don't want to be in the same room, the same city, the same county. I just don't like them. And, you know, none of us is going to raise our hands and say, yeah, let me tell you about that person. But we all have those people that rub us the wrong way. Maybe you're a lover, not a fighter, and you're like, no, I just kind of love people. But there's somebody that gets under your skin. (laughs) But Jesus makes the man who offers the help a Samaritan. And then Jesus makes the victim someone the Samaritan doesn't even know. See, the Samaritan doesn't stumble upon a, a long-lost friend and, oh my gosh, you're, you're, you're not, this isn't, this isn't good. And, you know, he picks him up and helps him out. He, he doesn't come across somebody who's got a t-shirt of his favorite band and he's like, you like them too? That's awesome. Yeah, let's go, let's go hang out. No, there's not this like crazy commonality that they have that causes him to want to help him. No, the Samaritan had never met the man. And he helped him because he was a human being. Because he was a person. Because he needed help. Because he was struggling, he was hurting, he was, he was broken. And this is Jesus' answer to who is my neighbor. The broken. The forgotten. The hated. The people I don't know. kind of messes with our world if we're honest right because it causes us to have to say wait a second does that mean that i have to love people that i hate and does that mean that i have to care for people that i don't even know yeah yes yeah don't shoot the messenger but if we're if we're honest that that messes with us a little bit that messes up our, our, our paradigm because we're okay with taking care of our family. We're, we're okay even taking care of our friends. That's, that's easy. It's like, I like you. You like me. I, I, I naturally want to care for you. I want the best for you. It's, it's, it's easy to want to help people even in your community. Oh, you, you're from Albany too? I'm from Albany. Right, let me help you. People from your sphere of influence. But we don't like that this story calls us to show compassion to those who are not like us. Who don't think like us. Who don't believe like us. We don't like that this story calls us to show compassion to those we don't know. And yet this was Jesus' answer to the question. See, it was provocative then, but it's still provocative now. It was uncomfortable for them when he said it. And I venture a guess it's, it's pretty uncomfortable for us right now. Because there's a lot of people in this world, in this country, in our town, on social media who are shouting at the top of their lungs things that make you want to scream. And guess what? God's called us to love them. See, as disciples, we we have to embrace Jesus' definition of neighbor. We don't get to define it ourselves. We don't get to come up with a new iteration. And here's the truth. The way we love and serve the least of these in this world, in this community, in our context, is how we love and serve Jesus. 
Do you get that? The way that we love and serve the least of these in society is how we love Him. Why? (laughs) In Matthew 25, Jesus tells this story of the least of these. He says, Then the righteous will answer Him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. Jesus tells the story that whatever was done for the least was done for him. And in listening to the heart of Jesus and how we're called to love and serve people, there's some tough realities we have to embrace. We have to embrace that all the actions taken are directed to the most vulnerable, the broken, the sick, those that are in prison, those who don't have hope. See, the descriptions aren't exactly the same as the the story of the Samaritan who was beat up and left for dead, but it's the same people group. It's the vulnerable. It's the forgotten, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the prisoner. They all fall into this category. And how many times in life do we walk right by these people? Not really knowing that they need help. And it's not just that Jesus is vaguely interested in this group of people. No, he, he identifies with them. He says, this, this is me. Because I gave everything up. I humbled myself even unto a cross to die for people who hated me. When was the last time anybody asked you to die for somebody who despised you? And yet here we are. Verse 40 is the incredible line, whatever you did for the least of these brothers or sisters, you did for me. That means that Jesus is closely paying attention to what we do because he identifies closely to these people. He says, these are my people. And I need you to to love them. See, the call to love and serve the hurting and broken is not an optional element of being a disciple. It's not kind of like a, eh, if I've got a slot in my schedule or if it works out okay. It's not a side issue. It's not a you can if you want part of following Jesus. In other words, this is a defining characteristic for a true Christian, for a true follower of Jesus. Loving and serving the broken. And when you sum it all up, this highlights how central to our actions as Christians this should be and how much God is paying attention to it. He's watching He's given you gifts and abilities and resources and time and financial stability so that you can be a blessing. Not just so you can be blessed. And we have to get this right. We have to. We have to get it right in order for people to see something worth imitating in our service and love to Jesus and other people. 
Why would people want to follow Jesus if they don't see anything worth doing? The way we love and serve the least is how we love and serve Jesus. And people will want to imitate it. The final thought this morning is this. To love, serve, to love and serve people well, allow selfishness to be transformed to selflessness. If you want to love and serve people well, allow your selfishness to be transformed by God for selflessness. Now, did I just, you know, put that up there on the screen to kind of make maybe a little bit of a, you know, tongue twister? You know, kind of like Susie sells seashells on the seashore, seashore, seashore. I kind of messed myself up in first service because then I couldn't say selfish correctly anymore. But no, this is not just like a play on words. See, this idea of loving and serving people well and doing it the way that Scripture calls us to, it, it sounds really good in theory and it sounds great on paper. And we look at it and we go, yeah, that's good. That's awesome. But it is a big and multifaceted issue if we truly embrace carrying this out in our daily lives. But I believe it's one that will move us in the right direction and how we love people. It's a deceptively simple idea. We call it the golden rule. Eh? You all know it. Don't act like this is the first time you heard it. Right? Let's all say it together. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It wasn't quite in unison, but it was good. It was good. So, you know, 78%-ish participation. Well, we all know the golden rule, right? It's, 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 it's poured into us as kids, you know. Memorize this, you know. Stitch it on a pillow. I'm going to print it on your, your pillowcase. You know, here it is on your sheets. We're going to even put it on your wall now because they've got those little decals that you can put on the wall. We, 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 we sow this into our kids. And some people don't even realize it comes from Scripture. Matthew 7, 12, we read Jesus' words, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets is summed up in that. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Now, we can just dismiss it and go, Ah, oh, yeah, it's just for kids. That's for kids. I obviously I'm doing that in my life. But I got to te- teach my kids. Guess how they really learn? By watching you. Sorry, did that get weird cuz I whispered. See, the golden rule twists our thinking. If you really think about it. Because it twists our natural bent towards selfishness. Because all of us want good things in life. We do, and that's, that's not bad. We, we go through life with the mentality of what's best for me, what's best for my family, what's best for my friends, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. It comes easy for us. We don't have to force that kind of an expectation on our, on our lives. We don't have to remind ourselves to do good you know, for ourselves. But it's for that reason that the golden rule is actually genius. 
Because if you think about it, it takes our own innate selfishness and asks us to extend and consider others. That's the crazy, ironic aspect of the golden rule. It takes the things we desire most for ourselves and says, do that for other people. Thinking about what we would want, make sure that we get a a, a pretty complete answer of what we should be doing for other people. And then we turn around and extend that gift of love and service and support to the people that God has placed around us. This is the first step toward doing better in loving and serving people. If we're asking ourselves, how do I do this? How do I do it well? Do the things for other people that you would want done for yourself. See, we don't naturally extend this type of consideration. And we definitely don't extend this kind of consideration to the vulnerable. The forgotten, the broken, the beaten down, the people sitting on the corners, the people that walk up to you at the grocery store and ask you for money and you just try not to make eye contact or say, I I, I don't have anything with me or come up with some snappy excuse so we can just keep moving on. Sometimes we even maybe find ourselves blaming them for the condition they're in. Well, they made some decisions, obviously, that got them to this place in life. We dismiss them, we ignore them, we, 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 we brush them aside like so many did for the man that was in the ditch before the Samaritan got there. And the sad part is we almost never truly treat the vulnerable the way that we would want to be treated. I'm speaking to myself. We, 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 we find ourselves busied with life and, and, and blowing through all the things that we need to get done and checking all the boxes on our checklist, but we forget that God is placing people right in our path day in and day out, moment by moment. And he's asking us simply to love, to care enough to love. While this may seem like a, a simple concept, it's hard. But it can also be transformative when we surrender our care for others to God. See, God doesn't expect you to be perfect, but He does expect obedience. And He asks us simply to, to, to come into a place of praying and just saying, God, give me your eyes to see people the way that you see them. Give me your heart to love people the way that you love them. Help me not to see all the decisions they've made and all the wrong they've done and all the dirtiness. Help me to see somebody you love. Help me to see somebody who's chosen by you, who you call your child. See, the point is that hospitality is an opportunity to serve. That's it. It's an opportunity to serve people. But sometimes we get, get it complicated. And hospitality is not about getting repaid. It's about serving someone who otherwise might not experience friendship. They may not experience a meal. They may not experience um, 
relationship. They may not experience healthy community. They may not know what it looks like to enjoy coffee with a friend. So as we close today, you, you might be asking, how does this apply to discipleship? How does this, how does this, this even apply to, to, to making people disciples of Jesus? There's a gal by the name of Rosaria Butterfield. And she wrote an article in a, in a magazine. And she told of a time where she had somebody reach out to her and show her friendship. See, Ro- Rosaria is a perfect example of the potential for discipleship that can come from practicing hospitality and just loving people. And in this particular situation, loving somebody that we disagree with. See, Rosaria was a professor at Syracuse University and was not a believer in Jesus. She wrote an editorial criticizing Christians, and she ended up receiving a letter from a a local pastor inviting her to dinner. It's just a simple act of kindness. Her experience, though, included ongoing and regular meals with the pastor and his family, and not only changed her perspective, but saved her. And now she's a devoted, professing follower of Jesus. And this is what she said. The way that they were practicing hospitality became a living, breathing example of the theology that they were teaching. She adds, they didn't see me as a project. They saw me as a neighbor. Hospitality takes strangers and makes them neighbors and takes neighbors and makes them the family of God. What an amazing perspective in a in a in a time in our country where so many people are shouting at the top of their lungs and disagreeing and angry and people are 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 saying things that make your blood boil and that pastor could have taken offense and said oh these people that criticize us and we're doing all this good for the community but no he said, I want to I I love that person. I want to show her that she's wrong. That loving Jesus is more than just coming to church on Sunday. But it's reaching out to those people who are most desperate and vulnerable and broken. See, there's a great opportunity for us to become everyday disciples when we open our homes, our lives, our church to strangers to the vulnerable, to the broken, to the hurting. And when we let them see us live out our faith over a meal, over the gift of an interaction, or a selfless act of service. Hey, let me help you. Looks like you're having a hard time. It's those acts of service. It's that, that heart of service and love for people that changes their perspective. Because it's no longer what you're saying to them. It's what you're doing for them. Can we stand to our feet this morning as we prepare to close? God, we ask that you would open our hearts this morning to what you 
are desiring, that you would open our minds, Lord, to understand that you have so much greater, that you desire to use us for your purpose, that you desire to allow us to be a blessing on your behalf, that, Father, you are bringing people to our lives, across our paths, each and every day. We just have to be willing to see it. And so, God, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to move with compassion to love people. And that we would not forget about the strangers, the unbelievers, the poor, the destitute, the people who have been forgotten by society. Lord, that we would reach out intentionally to lift a hand. That we would extend a hand of love and service. We need your help, Father. We, we need to see the world through your eyes. We need to humble ourselves and remember that we were the lost, that we were the broken, that we were the ones laying in the ditch, and you extended a hand and said, no, you are my chosen child. You are not forgotten. And that we would be those that would do the same. Father, awaken our hearts to your purposes today. And we thank you that you've called us to be your disciples, to make disciples, and to love and serve people well. Help us today, we ask God. 